You have entered the Harkovers. And on this week's episode, we're back with another Exploring Ototahi, where I chat to musicians, industry people, community members within the Christchurch music community. On this week's episode, I'm talking to a living legend. That's right, Kay Woodward, guitarist for the amazing flying nun band, The Bats. Kay grew up in Christchurch, had formative musical experiences here in Christchurch, and still lives within the O3. We chat about the 80s, the 90s. We chat about now. There's some great little nuggets of Flying Nun history in there. And there's some amazing little stories of the Christchurch that was. I had a real, real good time conducting this interview, recording this episode. Thanks so much to Kay and to Paul for having me. And I hope you enjoy. Without any further ado, it's Kay from the Bats. How I'd like to start is, did mm-hmm. you grow up in Christchurch? I did, yep. yep. I was born here. I've moved about two kilometres from my parents' house. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And where in your life did you, uh, were you aware like that music became something that you, let's just say like enjoyed and felt like excited about? Oh, well... Most of my life, I um, um, most kids love music, right. and I think I, I my parents were into music, but they played, you know, they played um, um, like old sixties, but stuff like trumpet a go go or um, swinging safari and stuff like that. Not really um, the birds or anything like that, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it was all very upbeat and dancey, and we did a lot of dancing around. Oh, really? And then um, in about I think from nineteen seventy to 1980, when I was kind of 7 to 17, I just listened to commercial radio every second of the day. Right. So I, I, the 70s mainstream music and pop is very much in my brain. What radio stations were? Uh, there was 3ZM and there was Radio Avon. And, and, you know, we thought, me and my brother and sister thought 3ZM was cooler than Radio Avon so it was right. a wee bit of rivalry going on there so we listened to 3ZM but I don't think they were that much different right right yeah <clears throat> and so you became a big fan of music and in in quite like a public shared yeah kind of yeah I love yeah. pop music and singing and then um I went to a kind of a churchy school where we sang hymns three times a week and I I enjoyed that it was about the best thing about school <laughs> just singing yeah um, and then when I was, um, yeah, I learned the guitar as well a little bit when I was about nine or ten, not for very long. Mm. Um, and then when I went to university, I, when I was seventeen, I at the end of my first year, I just went up to RDU because I thought I'll go in here and see if I can be a, on the radio. Mm. And um, yeah, that just completely changed my life. Really, I just <clears throat> yeah changed from mainstream pop music to you know a whole new world of more interesting and still lovely and great music which has sort of yeah delved off in that direction yeah sort of more independent alternative music right and <clears throat> was what was your sense of Christchurch's and I guess it could also be New Zealand's mm. um kind of local scene at that time when you turned up to RDU was there a lot of New Zealand music being 
maiden um, plate? It was quite a bit, yeah, and there were, there were lots of gigs going on, which I yeah we, I wasn't allowed to go to because you had to be 20 back then to go to a pub. Really? Yeah, yeah. Was that like because of the alcohol? Yeah, or, oh, yeah, right, you just okay. couldn't go to a pub until you were 20. Could you drink before you were 20? Um, if somebody else bought the alcohol for right. you, yeah, somebody older bought the alcohol. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So, so even then, venues were st- and music was still already interlinked with alcohol and alcohol sales, and, mm. that, and that was limiting who could attend things. But, but and- the good thing about uh, university was that for some reason. Um, the Students Association could serve alcohol to people under 20. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's why there was such a great scene of orientation back then because, you know, students are 17, 18, 19 or mm. ni- 18, 19, 20. And, um, yeah, so every single gig, every single orientation gig was just absolutely full. And, and they Every would- student went to it, every gig, no matter who was playing, right. so that they could drink beer and, yeah. And would those gigs happen at university? Or? Yeah, in the Students Association and, oh, wow. and all the there were several venues within there. And there was a big outdoor amphitheatre as well, which, yeah, hosted such parties, but in the afternoon. And, yeah, wow. <laughs> and, and, was, and was RDU still interlinked with the university at yeah, that it was, stage? Yeah, it was in the university. Oh, yeah, wow, it was okay. in that Students Association building. Yeah. Right, amazing. So it was all... all linked and the university owned the radio station back then as well yeah yeah of course so it was all just student run oh amazing and so did you immediately obviously when you turn up to RDU you mm. were already you, you started to get introduced to local international more alternative music yeah yeah did you and, and people yeah you know, that's what I, I, was I say. just made you know a whole lot of new friends and yeah just completely changed my social Interactions <laughs> and you felt like comfortable with those people. Yeah, crowd, yeah, 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 yeah. Loved it. Mm. Amazing. And so, when did the picking? You said you learnt guitar for a short period. Yeah, I um, like, fiddled I around with it. Yeah, I just learnt chords and stuff a few times. The, my first lessons, I think, when I was about nine at the YWCA, right. and I think that was a really good way to learn because it was a great big group of like twenty kids all sitting on chairs and playing. Some song. Was it sheet music or was it? Um, like, no, just chords. They were just, just like, this chords. Is a G, chord. G and an A and a whatever. Yeah. yeah. So everyone was playing together, and so it didn't re- and singing. So right. it didn't matter how rubbish you were because the song carried on. You know, wow. it didn't matter if you fumbled your notes <laughs> yeah, or whatever. You could still keep singing and then get back into it. And yeah, it was a really forgiving and um, comfortable way to learn. I really liked it. Yeah. Um. What What was the point where you? picked the guitar back up um, um well i i always kept my guitar and i just fiddled around on it a little bit mm. but just never had any more lessons and never learned to read music really or anything like that and then i i met robert when i was maybe 19 mm. and um flattered with him and he saw that i had a guitar and um yeah because he'd moved to christchurch with the clean right and my flatmate had moved out and said, oh, here's a new flatmate for you, and he came. Where, where was the flatting situation in that time? Uh, it was in Springfield Road oh, in yeah, St. Nice. Albans, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, he moved in and saw that I had a guitar and, you know, can you play D? And I go, yeah, I can play D. <laughs> and, uh, oh, then you can play, can you play G? Yes, okay, we can play this song then, you right. know. And he started, you know, playing a song of his, and we just, just started playing together. Now, one question I have about that time is, and I, it's linked in with that idea of you and I, I think a lot of people around that time finding alternative music, finding alternative people, mm. um, 
finding their crowd and stuff like that. Yeah. When people like Robert turned up, Bob turned up, the clean were in Christchurch. Did they just feel, or for, for you was your experience, everyone is just kind of equally our people? Or was there yeah, any sense so. of, yeah, uh, Not for me. I was a bit, um, maybe a bit of a dum-dum, but I didn't really get the hierarchy or anything. Like, I didn't, you know, I loved the clean but, and I loved the pin group and I loved, um, you know, other bands that were around. Mm. And, and we'd always go to the pub a lot because it sounds like, it sounds like the old age, you know, the olden days, but we didn't have video players. Yeah. We barely had a TV. So we just went to the pub all the time to listen to music. And a band would play three nights a week. So say the say the Bats were playing. The, the same band would play three yeah. nights a week. So Thursday night was like a practice night and it closed at 10. So it'd be like 7 till 10 or something. And then Friday night and Saturday night, it would be open till 11. Mm. And yeah, you just three ba- one band or a group of bands would just play the three nights and it was just like an open house kind of and it was cheap to get in. Wow. And it was full, you know, because that was there was not much else. Nobody had right. you know what they didn't have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no screens. And when, no, yeah, I think when I think we really noticed when people when video players arrived, whenever that was maybe mid 80s, I can't remember, yeah, but yeah. um that changed, you know, people didn't go out so much. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they could stay home and watch movies at home and, you know. That's the thing of like, it's a bit of a, it's a little bit of a tangent, so we won't stay on it, but because obviously for people my generation and then also even younger, it's the the, the live audiences are smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm, um, yeah. And, and for, 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 for certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, people still love going out and watching live music. Of I think, course. But there's just so much... Op- so many options and that's yeah. my that's my like thinking on it is not necessarily that like there's less people interested in music i no. think that there's the same amount but that there was there just used to be say in the 70s or the 80s when there was less competition there was a whole group of people who would go to shows because there was nothing else on yeah and, and now was... that there is other stuff on those people are actually maybe just going to where they're more interested or suited yeah it's much more focused and targeted but yeah, yeah it was just um you know this is where everyone went and... was it and say those like three nights mm. back in those days were you guys the were the bands playing those kinds of things were they the background to the party or were they like uh, no um, no it was very an, much no, listened it to? was absolutely listened to and oh, danced wow. to you know yeah definitely I, I think yeah 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 cool <laughs> yeah from my point of view it was yeah because that's an interesting thing as well as is, is the the is a lot of um what you call like university bands now and stuff mm. uh some of some of the crowds can be a bit more like this is the background to our social party night right as opposed to like we're here to listen explicitly right. to the next thing right. you know? so it's really interesting to hear that yeah yeah that, that's what my perception of it did you feel that Christchurch was a welcoming place for creatives and creative people back in that time or um, did you or did it happen kind of in spite of or separate from the city um I didn't think I had an awareness of where I was I was just in my little world you know going and watching bands and playing in a band and um, I didn't really have a perception of comparing it to anywhere else or the rest of the city. I knew that there were other scenes, you know, like there was the covers band scene um, 
and maybe we were slightly rival rivaling with the covers bands. Oh, a bit of competition there. Yeah, or just a bit of disdain both ways because <laughs> they thought we were, you know, people that couldn't play and we thought they couldn't think of songs. So, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. sort of mutual disrespect. I don't think that's gone away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that there was no sense of not being welcome. Right. You know, there were places to play, the Starangata and the Gladstone and the Ducks, Deluxe, and various halls around that, mm. you, you know, everything was a bit looser back then. So, you know, you could just take alcohol anywhere. And yeah, yeah the police were meaner, but things were just wilder. I think it was a bit wild west. Oh, really? So like <laughs> think so. you could get away with it, but when you didn't get away with it, you really didn't yes, get away I with it. Yes, I think that's the story. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how it was. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and obviously a defining, well, for like media and narrative um, people, a defining part of that era is like the connection between Christchurch and Dunedin. Mm-hmm. Was that a real actual strong thing, the, the feeling that, the Dunedin scene and the Christchurch scene were that connected? <coughs> um, we saw a lot of people from Dunedin because they would come up and stay mm. when they had gigs and we would stay down there. So there was definite connection there. And I guess with Bob and, and the clean moving up here, we got to know more people. And, yeah, we were often – we went down to Dunedin a lot to play. Yeah, right. Yeah, and we often had people coming up here, so it definitely was a connection going on. Because I've, I've, I feel like that connection is really something that has kind of been lost now, um, just in my experience and talking to a lot of the people in the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That uh, Dunedin bands are quite afraid to come up and play oh. the Christchurch now. Well, the, I guess since the earthquakes and stuff, there might be a bit of a lack of venues or something. I don't know, or COVID, all that. But, um, yeah, I... I'm sorry about that. Yeah, because it's easy just to drive up the road. It's um, only five hours. Yeah. Really. Yeah, which is, I always laugh because there's, I mean, Auckland to Wellington is a nine hour drive. Mm. But there are still mm. so many kids getting in cars and driving between Auckland and Wellington to play shows. And right. It's always confused me to be like, it's, yeah, um, no, no, maybe. it's basically straight from Christchurch to Timaru. It's like one yeah. line. You don't yeah, really no, it's not difficult. <laughs> and sometimes we used to drive down there and play again and drive back again. Yeah, right. If we didn't have somewhere to stay, we needed to get back for some reason or whatever. Yeah. yeah we just didn't mind. Yeah, of course. Oh, amazing. Um, now, you lived here through the earthquake, mm-hmm. through all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your... Do, do you have any sense of the kind of creative community or spirit in Christchurch being altered or changed by the earthquake in any in any big way because for for me as someone who would visit very regularly but didn't Mm -hmm. live here Mm -hmm. i actually have noticed a lot more i would say like patronage of the arts post quake Mm -hmm. Um, there's lots of sculptures around Mm. especially especially Mm. central city a lot Mm. of funding and and a lot of that kind of stuff and Mm. i'm not because i wasn't here before or after i don't necessarily know if that was the case beforehand or I'm just noticing it now. Uh, no, I think there were uh, just the fact that there were all those um, buildings falling down and, and sort of ugly sides of buildings. You know, there was a lot of activity to sort of make things look a bit nicer as quickly as possible. So that's I think that's why there's all those murals. And and we had, oh, what was the name of that group of people that put little art installations everywhere? Mm, not sure. Oh, I've forgotten what they're called. 
So right, we'll insert uh, I'll, yeah, yeah. the voice of God will yeah. come in and well, insert Certain that in. people really stepped up, and those two it was a couple, and they they really stepped up and did lots of cool things around. And um, yeah, the dark room sprang up out of um, out of the earthquakes. That was one of the first venues to come back, and yeah, it just got, made people brave again to go out and sort of come out of their houses and um, come back and play some music. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess visually, it's definitely quite different and quite, you know, a lot more visually around mm. with art. Um, in terms of music, I guess it took a while just because there physically weren't places to play. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's just gradually built up. Yeah. Yeah, we still don't have a sports ground, you know. <laughs> we haven't had any <laughs> international, <laughs> big international acts much because of um, lack of venue. Yeah, no, it is interesting, though, um I guess uh, no. they've used actually the rugby ground out at the showgrounds, the old showgrounds, yeah. I think Bruce Springsteen played there and a and few people, yeah. Which is interesting so, because yeah. like there's this new trend of international, mainly rock bands playing Christchurch. Mm -hmm. um, the White Stripes, obviously, well, Jack White, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, although he has quite a connection with Christchurch because it was, it, it, New Zealand was one of the first places that the White Stripes ever toured. Okay. They did like a high school tour where oh they wow like halls and stuff oh wow and he has a piece of a connection to like Christchurch oh cool that stuff so but I've noticed like um yeah like I said Bruce Springsteen um Queens of the Stone Age and both and them and Foo Fighters are playing mm -hmm. Christchurch uh, which also have a connection to the city I guess as well so it is mm. like an interesting trend that there are like it makes sense for Christchurch to be s somewhat even more than Wellington I would say the big second date because mm -hmm. it, of the South Island thing, and mm. everyone from the South oh. Island can come to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so people will come here. It's the yeah, obviously the biggest town. But in having the a, South Island. a bigger stadium or a, or a actual yeah, a covered stadium yeah, would yeah, be great yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, we might get some. I mean, I, I I prefer to see people in smaller venues. I love the Christchurch Town Hall. Right. Absolutely love that to go and watch bands, the James Hay or the Auditorium. They're both cool places. Yeah, uh, you know, I've known them since my childhood, and it's really great that they got rebuilt instead of well you know they got rescued yeah after the earthquakes um instead of demolished i was really lucky to play a um smoke free rock quest national final in the Ooh. town hall before it cool uh, yeah yeah for then yeah. so that was very very cool so it's something else we didn't have anything like that yeah, way no. back in the in the 80s there was yeah. nothing, nothing like that yeah there's so much more support for young people you wouldn't have had a guitar at my high school there wouldn't have been a guitar I don't think I, I did have guitar lessons, but it was an external, like an itinerant teacher in a back block somewhere. You know, it wasn't actually part of the curriculum or anything. That's so interesting, though, because from my perspective, like I had, uh, you know, I went to Timaru Boys High School, and we we had like an an army of those like cheap acoustic guitars, and mm. we had a, a drum kit. We had like we had a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. And, yeah, and well, it's, it's with part of every high school now. Yeah, but in my from my perspective, like the the educational system in regards to music and like the outcomes of people going through high school and their introduction to art and music seems really lacking f from my perspective. Okay. So it's really interesting to hear that like back in the day there was even less of that stuff, but seemingly <laughs> more participation. Yeah. Cause it's something you did yourself, you know, right. it wasn't something that you were encouraged to do. It wasn't an opportunity really. Um, it was, yeah. it was something you, you decided for yourself that you were going to go and do and yeah, got, got attracted to it yeah and there were i guess there were opportunities in the community to do it as well but it was all self-generated mm. you know it was just all 
just little groups of young people doing it rather than any adults right. sort of setting, you know, giving opportunities or anything. Or not in my experience anyway. Mm. Yeah, it was just people doing it for themselves. I am really interested. That's uh, one of the things I want to do with this podcast is talk to kind of the 19 to 22 to 23 year olds who mm. are here mm. doing that and try and find if there is our version of that kind of thing happening here. But mm. Mm. I'm not going to presume that I already know about it or it's here or not here. Mm. Like that's what I'm trying to find out. But yeah, interesting. Like are young people as self-driven when things are a little bit more bureaucratic maybe now, mm. as you're saying, it's a bit more wild west there. Like mm. it's a little bit harder to, um, secure a venue or tick some boxes maybe or mm, mm. um yeah how's the alcohol going to be held for the yeah and stuff like that yeah it's really interesting i was at um there's this venue called a rolling stone oh yeah 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 um they're like the only venue that can that seems to be like regularly making space for all ages shows that's mm. a sort of venue but they mm. put them on at like 2 p.m on a saturday mm-hmm. afternoon and um i loved it i love yeah it. yeah i mean i love being it's quite luxurious outside. yeah yeah 6 p.m the show's done I can yeah home. yeah yeah no it's, it's a whole different up. feel yeah, no totally. no it's good i i like early shows of course yeah yeah it's good um there was a really bad period sort of in the 90s where gigs started like at 11 or something like that and it was really horrible we played quite a few of them in australia and other places uh, yeah, why, I don't why, know. Why was that happening? I think it was to trap people in the venue drinking. Right. It was the you know their idea of how to keep people in the venue for six hours instead of two and a half or three, you know. And it was ex- pretty exhausting. Would people stay in, in, like, through, like, say, the 80s and the 90s, would people stay in venues after the bands were done? Or, like, no, the bands paid until it finished, it closed, and then everyone's out? Uh, when, when the pub shut at 11... Right. Yeah. Cause, Is that the thing? Yeah. Yeah. On yeah, Friday and Saturday it shut at 11 and the rest of the week it shut at 10. And so people would just come back and have a party at someone's house. Yeah, they'd go home. Yeah, but right. then when it started getting later and later, there were no parties then because, you know. It's too late. It was too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're in a kind of unique position in your experience with the bats and um, I guess – from a position where people would be like, you're a successful band in a sense. Yeah. We've kept going. Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And we can, you know, we can tour and get people along and yeah. You've had people, I think the key thing is that you've had people outside of New Zealand being like, this is really good. Mm. And do you, what's your experience of like New Zealanders as a culture and their appreciation of like art and music? And do you think it's changed over time? Um, I guess it's hard to discern whether we were... I think we were getting appreciated, but as I said, um, mostly through the 80s when we played a lot of gigs, people were there uh, at all those orientation gigs because they were in there for the beer, mm. you know. Um, and I think that probably helped us build build a, um, you know, a following. Mm. Um, but thinking about the appreciation, that was the question, wasn't it? If yeah. we haven't appreciated, yeah, I'm sure we do. I mean, there's a lot of people that are really proud of, you know, a New Zealand band. You know, they're from New Zealand, so yeah. um, and they want to support their local local bands. Yeah, and also if you're living in Christchurch, you are going to see Christchurch bands because that they are going to be the ones the that ones are playing, playing the most. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes there are touring bands, and um, and then we appreciate bands that come from other places in New Zealand. You know, it, 
I think I think we do appreciate music and art in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, yeah. that, there's that thing that um, some people's experiences, New Zealanders maybe not caring as much for their music until they prove themselves, say, overseas. Mm. Um, and yeah, well, that, that's come... just kind of a mainstream attitude, right, I guess. Okay, yeah, that so, yeah. tall poppy thing. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah, but I guess it's really tough if you are trying to, you know, um, get a profile in New Zealand. Yeah, mm. yeah. But, um, I guess we are low profile in New Zealand and but also low profile in Australia, America, Germany, France, UK. Yeah, right. right. I think, yeah, it's better for us doing that because we can go to all those cool places and play shows there rather than being huge in New Zealand yeah. and not anywhere else. It feels and, much more sustainable as well to be... Yeah, yeah there just isn't the population in, in New Zealand to sustain, exactly to sustain a career. Mm. Unless you're doing like heaps of money-earning things, you know, different things. You know, you'd have to have your finger in a lot of pies and that's what people do. They mm. do all kinds of different stuff and then they can have a career as a musician. Yeah, but just as a band, yeah, it's it's a bit a bit sort of finite. Mm. Yeah, but I, you- I really liked. I was listening to a few different bits of interviews on YouTube mm-hmm. um, for this. There's actually a really funny one um, that's on. I think it's it's either on the, uh, uh, the Bats YouTube or maybe like a, a Bats tangential YouTube channel. Where it's mm-hmm. like a um, Brett and uh, Jermaine interview oh, from South by Southwest yes. back in the day. That was oh, very that was funny, funny to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, was... I think Brett's question to you was uh, about riffs or licks. Oh, and yeah. You played. You, you were like, I like riffs. Yeah. No licks for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I play riffs. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I only found out what a ch- what chops were about <laughs> three years ago. <laughs> yeah, we're terms. just ignoramuses in terms of you know musical. What, what all the names for everything is. But that's so funny because you did say that, like, uh, maybe it wasn't that one, it was another interview, I think, where, like, the whole, like, we aren't, not that you're not professional musicians, but, like, we don't read music, we, we mm. kind of just paint all that stuff. Was that the majority of people that you mm. were in your crowd? Of? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I don't think anyone writes music out in Flying Nun. It was all just feeling and self-taught. and <laughs> it's just listening. Yeah. Yeah, maybe there are, but I've, I've never seen anyone do it or or use that as a medium. A lot of people do tabs. You know, tabs, so, are, but tabs weren't a thing back then, were they? No, but they've become, I don't know. They've become uh, they, a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of people use them. Ultimate guitar tab. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you ever looked at how many, uh, at any of your like guitar tabs that other people have put up online? No, I haven't. That would be a funny thing to do, to be like, oh, what do they think I'm playing here? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. I haven't heard anyone. I mean, we've had a few people do covers, you know, of our songs, but I haven't. Is there any that you've personally in, enjoyed or you remember? Um, well, Steve Gunn did a really, really nice one of Made Up in Blue. Wow. And Made Up in Blue is a really, he didn't release it. He just um, did it and sent it to Bob right. and he sent it to us and, um, yeah, absolutely love that. It's really, really slow and pensive and just beautiful. Um, there was a band in Sweden that did Claudine. There's been a few Block of Woods and Barbara Manning in the States did Smoking Her Wings. Yeah, various people have done done them. And some friends in Australia have done yeah. them as well. That must be yeah. like kind of buzzy. Like, <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah. lovely to hear someone do a cover. It's, you know, it's ultimate compliment, really. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the easy songs. <laughs> Bob tries to make them difficult sometimes, but yeah, most of them are pretty easy. That's pretty funny. <clears throat> so they're trying to make the songs difficult. 
Well, such- actually, in the our first two albums, which is this is really bizarre, but we had a friend, a, slight, a friend who was kind of ten or so years older than us, who came from the UK, and we, you know, he sort of was quite know it all and he Worldly. he said, and this is when too too young and silly to argue, but he said that the bombs in World War Two had changed the pitch of the world, and um, that we all had to tune up a semitone. Oh. So our first two albums have got they're all tuned up to one semitone up. So if you tried to play North by North along to if you tried to play along to anything on Daddy's Highway, wow, <laughs> you'd be going what? Yeah, but it's just a semitone up. That's it's just, amazing. It's just silly. And then after two albums, I think you know, I think we said, oh no, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, but I don't I, know how he convinced us of that. That's so good though. But maybe the songs were just a little bit more peppy because they yeah. were just that. That's what I was thinking. Like it's like wow, this what's this new sound? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, just just tune up. Yeah. Oh wow. I yeah, I can't believe we did that. But that's the thing that like <clears throat> that makes sense when it's like we're not. Um, institutionally, professionally, like, um, learnt or brought up mm, because mm. You'd, you'd be like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. Why would you tune up a semitone? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, it seems like part of the brilliance of... It's just sponta- spon- spontaneous. Oh, yeah, we'll do that. And, yeah. Yeah, of course. It was just a funny thing. Did you have a um, an overseas kind of scene that you, like, personally enjoyed or felt um, affinity with? Uh, um, an overseas scene. I liked... Um, you know, like a contemporary kind of thing. Yeah, with you guys. Oh, yeah. I guess Australia, you know, the go-betweens. Mm. And uh, what was the other one? The Love and Bright Landscapes. See, I can't remember the names. <laughs> yeah, the go-betweens. Yeah, there's another really good one from Perth. Another oh, – you have to Google it. I have to Google it now. Were they coming o- – were Australian men coming um, over to New Zealand and playing Yeah, the go-betweens played here a few times. Right. And um, – we we went over there and we played with them a couple of times. Because that's another really sad um, thing. It's like the, there's a lot of, yeah, uh, fear is probably too strong of a word, but Australian bands do not want to come over and tour and play through New Zealand anymore. Well, it's just, just a, it's just money, really. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, they, they, you know, they need to make ends meet. And, yeah. Do, yeah. I guess that's been a problem for a while. Mm. Yeah, it's always been quite expensive to come over it's only gotten more expensive as well yeah and you need a wee network of friends and stuff to stay with and help you yeah do australian bands not come here anymore not as not as often anymore Mm. yeah um it's something that i think i guess yeah as somebody who doesn't i'm not the one paying the bills or booking the tours Mm. and so i don't Mm. or dealing with the anxiety of like selling those tickets in a different country so i think they i think some do still come over yeah well yes very occasionally um, mm. Cosmic Psychos are about to come over with Dick Move mm-hmm. and do a tour, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a great example of like Dick Move going over um, and doing the, do the doing Australia with Cosmic mm. Psychos and right. then that kind yeah. of returning. I think yeah, that yeah. kind of like it's interesting to me that social media and the internet has made it easier than ever to kind of establish connections with people who are mm. like non geographically mm. locked with you. But and I know that COVID that obviously step. stymied a lot of that because yeah. there's a band that the Cool Sounds from Melbourne. They they were cool they were yes. They the uh, the main uh, guy. It's nothing to do with one of them being my son-in-law. No, no, of course <laughs> not. But they, but like because uh, I think I've I've been trying to convince them to do a. Um, well, they were going to come a couple of years ago, but yeah, they couldn't because of COVID. No, I was going to get them on the old mm. podcast. Mm. Um, and then they put out a brilliant album mm. last year. Was it mm. last year? 
Yeah, it was pretty okay. recent. Yeah, it was mm. so good. I was actually just mm. talking to my friend Richard about that the other day. Right. Yeah, very, yeah. very, very good band. I hope they do get to come I've back. I've got to find out who that Australian band is. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, uh, and there must be stuff that we don't know about that goes on. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. I've got a friend, actually the guy that I was in uh, my first band with in primary school, he became a specialist performer of medieval stringed instruments mm-hmm. so he lives in he travels around the world wow essentially like exhibiting a 16th century loot or something like that they mm-hmm. have, have a display and he's like i'm gonna do a performance wow on it on that kind of stuff yeah that's some really buzzy stuff okay yeah that's good stuff oh wow um yeah so that australian band i was trying to think of is the triffids Oh, from Western Australia. So right. the scene that we kind of identified would be the go-betweens and the Triffids in, in Australia. I've heard that band referenced in a Courtney Barnett song. Okay. Yes. Yeah. There's a really good documentary oh, um, cool. about David McComb, who was the singer. Yeah. I don't know how you can find that. It's probably called <laughs> Love and Bright Landscapes. We'll yeah. try, I'll try and find it and put it in the in the notes for the, for the podcast. Mm. Um, I guess like... You've also raised children in Christchurch, mm-hmm. creative children. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Christchurch as a place to bring up um, and and kind of encourage creative um, lives? Um, well, when they were growing up, there was the White Elephant, was, which I think it might still be there. That's in Barbados Street, which was an all-ages venue. And there was Zebedee's, which mm. was an all-ages venue. And they, they had lots of things on. Uh, there were lots of house parties and stuff yeah, when they were teenagers and a bit older. Mm. Um, yeah, there was every opportunity for them to play music, and we obviously had lots of stuff here they could play. Yeah. Um, so I think it was a very healthy, um, creative atmosphere. Yeah, it's just a matter of going and finding it and being aware, but I'm sure there's heaps of stuff for people to do and opportunities. Yeah, and it, yeah, it was great for them, I think. And they could come to our shows as well. With us, because you can, yeah, you can go to a gig with your parents. Yeah, of course. Which I think is a wonderful rule, you know, that you you don't have to be eighteen to go to a gig as long as you go with your parents. Mm. And so, it's quite often children at gigs with the parents. So yeah, ours did a bit of that. Yeah, because I noticed, like, you know, and I, I was the same when I was a, a really young. Is that almost every kid in New Zealand spends every weekend for at least a couple of years playing sports with their friends and mm. and, and mm. like actually growing up getting involved but being around the thing mm-hmm. as like a really normalized social thing and mm. but with art and music i mean it, it depends it, on the family i mean we're not family, we're not a very yeah. sporty family so we didn't we did a bit of sport but right. yeah not it was more like arts, yeah, paul yeah. and i certainly weren't playing sport yeah, 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 right. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, they did. Honestly. I think that was the that was the Timaru thing for me, right? And I talked to Brian about it because he's from Greymouth, that kind of like rural desperation to find art, right? Because like yeah. I could You're always play, I could play soccer every weekend, <clears> but <throat> I had to wait until Zed was in town playing the sound shell before I right. got to actually see any music. Yeah, yeah. that sound shell's still there, is it? It is. Yeah, oh, well, that's good. I've, I have a. As I said, the band fodder that I'm in with mm-hmm. my Timaru friends, I like part time adult band. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely a dream to just play the sound shell, the Timur mm. sound shell. That'd yeah, be a great thing to I'd do. love to do that too. <laughs> I think we might have once. Yeah, right. Yeah, it seems like such a wasted thing because it's so mm. beautiful there. And I bet there are other sound shells hidden away around yeah, New Zealand. I think there are. So one thing I really liked about um, 
there was a, I think it was Neil Finn and maybe Liam Finn, mm-hmm. but they did like a Halls tour of New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Paul's really keen to do one of those. But oh, just I think that's so beautiful. It, yeah, just Malcolm still works and I work. Yeah, so but we would like to. Yeah, we could make it happen, I suppose, but it would be quite, it you know, be fitting it in around our, our jobs. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, and that I think that is the, if anything, that's only become more and more the case for musicians mm. these days. You know, fitting it around. Um, yeah, we, we we've done that for a long time. We've we did you know we'd do Friday Saturday Auckland Wellington, <clears throat> and then Friday Saturday Christchurch Dunedin. Yeah, you know, just to fit it around people's work commitments. Yeah, it's a nice way to do that. Just to just an intense weekend. And then another intense weekend, and yeah, but it means we haven't been to places like Nelson or, you know, Palmerston North. We have been to those places, but not much. We used to do that a lot more in the in the eighties. Everything yeah. happened in the eighties <laughs> <laughs> and the nineties. Yeah. yeah, but 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 yeah, in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like you, you, you kind of, you guys kind of, when you become that band that kind of just does things on its own terms. Mm. You kind of just do the things that you really want to do as yeah, opposed to exactly. like filling in the time with the stuff that you're like, yeah, we'll do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we just do it if we want to and, and if think- it suits us. And um, it's because we, you know, I guess we work and it's not not our bread and butter, you know. And maybe, But maybe that contributes to the to the longevity and the sustainability of mm, it all. It's like you're, yeah. you're constantly just doing cool things in the in appropriate times for them mm. and I'm not going to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go on breakfast TV. I'm never going to do that in a right. million years. Because right. <laughs> I would hate that, you know. But um, I will you know, just do whatever we, we want and what suits us. Because well, it's, it's not our, you know, it's yeah. not our, our bread and butter. It's not. We love it and it's, it's probably one of the most important things in our lives. But mm. it, it's, it's not urgent, you know. We don't have to do anything we don't feel comfortable with or... We can't be bothered. There's no desperation to it. No. Yeah. And no, no I should I better make a few hundred dollars there and I better make a few hundred dollars there. It's just not not about that. Yeah, cool. Mm. Is there a um, venue in Christchurch that is no longer with us that you have really fond memories of? Um, oh, probably quite a few, like yeah. um, all the ducks. That was an absolute staple They had because it was free. Right. It was mostly free to get in. They would pay the bands to play. Um, so spent a lot of time there. It was a very comfortable type of place to go. Because they had like an outdoor area. <clears throat> yeah, and big outdoor dinner. area. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So you could just wander, wander in and out. Yep. Kind of like the yep. King's Arms in Auckland was a little bit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like that. It was like a big old house. You know yeah. where it is. You've yeah, seen yeah, it. Totally, it's it's yeah. the sad little thing in the corner now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but... The Repertory Theatre was pretty cool, Big, an old wooden a wooden theatre in Kilmore Street and the Caledonian Hall, which was almost opposite us, another big sort of wooden hall. The yeah. Repertory Theatre was built as a theatre and it was sort of like a semicircle, lots of seats and yeah, I think I saw Jens Lechman there mm. and yeah, it was a really nice place to watch a band. Um, yeah, in the Caledonian Hall, they had some good that's a fun place to go. I think we played there a few times, and I think I saw Salmonella dub there, which was incredibly loud one time. Yeah, wow. Uh, where else was fun to go? Um, 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 trying to think. Oh, the Star and Garter and the Gladstone were strong memories. Um, can't think of any more off the top of yeah, my head, enough. but I yeah. Think that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything? 
in Christchurch music either um, now or at a, at a, at a certain point in time mm-hmm. that is like unique that it that it did uniquely well or had its own kind of personality to it. Oh, that's tricky. Um, Christchurch music. I guess there's the um, you know the the pin group and the terminals and that kind of scene that sort of had more edgy kind of music, less poppy music, mm. and that was very strong and well respected in other from other towns as well. Um, and Scorched Earth Policy and Max Block, which some of them became the renderers. Uh, yeah, so that was quite a strong scene that was sort of going on uh, in parallel to the more sort of poppy stuff, like the bats. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're quite well known for that scene. Yeah. And that stayed strong and, and people remember that. And that was all guitar music as well? <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Because I, yep. I would also like, <clears throat> the more and more I learn about that stuff, it doesn't really alter my assumption from my experience of both Crashish and Dunedin being like very progressive in terms of alternative guitar music, mm. like even mm. within what I'm hearing internationally as well, there's still mm. this thing about, uh, especially because I went to uni in Dunedin. Mm. Okay. Um, so I was a lot closer to that <clears throat> scene at the time. Yeah. But there seems to be this kind of, yeah, this real, kind of trademark fingerprint yeah it's really left a strong mark yeah Yeah, it's very memorable and it's well known all over the world you know people know about it and people buy the records and Mm. people buy the old stuff and the new stuff and yeah so it's really got a strong um yeah like you say trademark or um stamp yeah really sort of characterful and original um sound Mm. yeah yeah Uh, yeah it's probably influenced people which is a cool thing. And it is funny because <clears throat> when I started these interviews, uh, I was wondering, oh, what kind of um, themes or like common things are going to pop up around mm-hmm. it through conversations with different people. And you kind of touched on one tonight that has been kind of popping up in a slightly different way, but it's kind of this idea of boredom mm-hmm. and boredom actually being like kind of a, a good thing for creativity or for mm. even maybe like becoming a bit more alternative or pushing the, the boundaries a little bit more when you're bored, when you're bored. Mm. Um, and so it's interesting to hear that theme come up again in terms of like, yeah, there was not much else to do. In, in the, no, in the but we didn't, we didn't think there was nothing to do. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't, we, we didn't think, well, I never thought I'm bored. No. I thought I want to, I want to, you know, move away from home, you know, because I had quite strict parents and, um, yeah, I had to be home at a certain time and only go out once a week or something like that. So when I was, yeah, 17, I went flatting. Yeah, everyone did that. It was cheap. And because you got paid to go to university back then as well, that was another bonus. So you could go and live cheaply in a flat with other people, yeah. Do you remember what you were paying for rent? Uh, Yes, I do. Um... In Springfield Road, we were paying $15 each a week, and we thought that was really expensive, which is why we moved in here, into this house. Wow. Because it was only 11 Yeah, because we thought 15 a week was a rip-off, because it had gone up from, you know, 13 or whatever. Yeah, but, you know, it's all relative. Yeah, of course. It's of all course. relative, but, yeah. Um, Paul's parents owned this house, and he was renting it off them, and, um, you know, people living here and flatting here, 
and a couple of spaces came up. So when Bob was in Auckland with The Clean recording one of their EPs, um, the opportunity came up to move in here. So I just packed up all his stuff, <laughs> wrote him a letter and said, Dear Bob, you've moved. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and, and my dad helped us helped me with the trailer and we just moved all Bob's stuff, including all his records and everything, and moved it in here. Yeah. Is, was he fine? Was he? Yeah, he was he, fine with that because it was. Well? He was fine because it was eleven dollars. Not him yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they had, you know, in here, Paul and they had. This room was full of drums and stuff like that. We've moved it, was, it into that room. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, so it was just a bigger place with more people and cheaper. Did you ever have trouble with neighbours and noise complaints from jamming no, and no, whatever? no, no. One it. one day that there was an old lady that lived in the, in the house next door, and one day Paul had wound his bass strings down really, really low to see what would happen. And, and the whole house was going... <laughs> and she um, rang up and said, what are you doing? Because <laughs> it was sort of vibrating yeah, through. Right. Yeah, so that's that's the only time really. But luckily, yeah, the neighbours don't mind. And we don't do it very often and we don't do it for very long and we don't do it late. So And we always do it in the middle room of the house, which we convince ourselves is kind of, you know, insulated. Yeah, right. I'm sure it's not. But. I think that's the key. I actually, um, I don't know if you know Ryan Chin. Yeah, he just lives, he lives up the road. Yeah, yeah. Very close. Uh, because yeah. he, I interviewed him for this podcast yeah. as well. And he had, a, I asked him the exact same question because he's got his drum set up in the living room yeah. and he records all the bands there. And Right. So how do you get it? I don't, I, I've, I've walked past and heard drums once, I think. Yeah, you know. he's like, you just do it between nine and five. Monday yeah, yeah. Friday. Oh, we do it like five till seven kind yes, of thing. Yeah, it. people don't mind. No. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, Christchurch song. Ah, oh, maybe something by Marlon Williams because I like him a lot. Yeah. Um. Um. Dark Child. Dark Child. Yeah, by I think he won. Marlon. Uh, Marlon. Yeah, it's an oldish one, and it was written by Tim Moore, who um used to run uh, Goodbye Blue Monday, a club in in the city. I got to play that one. Yeah, 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 and he's he's a lovely guy. What's his name? Sorry, Tim Moore. Tim Moore. Yeah, he's still around. Uh, He lives in Melbourne. He's lived in Melbourne for quite a long time now. Um, But I think he's still writing music over there. But yeah, just he, I think he's a nurse. Right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, lovely guy, and um, he used to do lots of playing with Marlon at Goodbye Blue Monday, especially after hours. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that song written by Tim, sung by Marlon. Cool. Yeah, and I think he won. Silver Scroll for that. For that I one. think you might have to research that, but yeah. Yeah, play that one. We'll get the fat checker on. Yes, yes, please.
wasteful sun One day you'll wonder what you've become One day all this could be yours if You only had the will to outlive I always hoped I'd never have to bury a child 